Welcome back, folks. Christian Yordanov here. So today we have Jehan Sator on. He's a returning guest. He is a CTAA accredited cognitive behavioral therapist, hypnotherapist, nutrition coach, mindfulness teacher, and specialist in the area of subconscious self-sabotage. Much of Jehan's work focuses on removing the disempowering thoughts and beliefs from the subconscious mind, which causes to create less than favorable emotional consequences and circumstances. Jahan teaches various ways that you can use to change your internal dialogue, clear harsh memories and emotions, and delete useless information from the subconscious so that you can overcome self-sabotage permanently. Jahan, thanks for coming back on, bro. Hey, thanks for having me back. I'm surprised I don't annoy you by now. <laughs> it's been a while. No, I was missing you, man. It's been a while. Oh, my goodness. I, I really love I really, yeah, yeah, good. Uh, I really enjoy these conversations because I kind of more, I more and more have to focus on the biochemical, the this kind of side of health. So I always enjoy someone that can open my eyes to the more, the subconscious, the psyche, the, the stuff that I, I don't really have the time to explore, even though I have a great interest in it. Right, I get what you're saying, and you know the interesting the interesting thing about that is that psychology over the past hundred years or so has this way of making the subconscious seem like something completely out there, completely separate, and that it's coming from whatever is generated by the brain, and that confuses people. It's the freaking nervous system; it's in your body. Yeah. So all the stuff that you talk about is so relevant to the subconscious as well because it's what's messing it it's up you know all one isn't it mind yeah, body it soul spirit psyche it's all one thing we just yeah. compartmentalize the <clears throat> academia enjoys separating things into tidy little baskets or whatever so that you know we can yeah figure out enzymes here and you know what ssris to give here for this problem and it's about problem problem solution symptom drug as opposed to let's figure out what this organism what conditions should we create in order for this organism to thrive yeah and it confuses the crap out of people so i think they shut down and they just <laughs> don't know what to do you know yeah man it's like actually one thing <clears throat> i'm kind of uh, um one of my friends i'm kind of trying to tell him you know this intermittent fasting the slow carb stuff all of this stuff is really stressful on your body. You're just very young, so you can't feel it. And um, he he sent me a video uh, about um, <clears throat> basically the the to cut, to make a long story short, a lot of the research on fasting on calorie restriction that as as it pertains to life extension or improvement in health, a lot of that research is done in laboratory animals. And if you look at what a lab rat eats. They eat just this horrendous slop of soy meal, polyunsaturated fats, you know, sucrose, just kind of synthetic vitamins, like really poorly absorbable vitamin mixes, and just um, fish meal, just the most disgusting garbage you can imagine. And then it's it's kind of, it's amazing how 
more researchers aren't well of course these friggin rats are living longer if you put them on intermittent fasting or prolonged fasting or caloric restriction diet of course they're going to live longer you're reading giving them less poison and it's the same it's the same in um, humans you know of course you're going to feel better fasting if you're eating slop all day and polyunsaturated fats of course you're going to feel better you know if you reduce your calories and you're eating less poison so i i kind of wish we would see research where we give these animals the most pristine diet, the most amazing um, sort of uh, environment. They're allowed to mate, have many mating partners, lots of places to run and play. And let's see how much we can extend their life, you know, without caloric restriction, just let them eat, eat, live, play, and be happy friggin' rodents. And then, and then let's see how much that, how that stacks up, against caloric restriction or fasting or whatever i'm i have a feeling it's going to stack up better um so that's kind of i think where a lot of the the medicine and science is at we're really studying we we're studying in great detail just pathology and just things that are like just derangements of metabolism or psyche as opposed to taking it a step further like how do we create an environment environment conducive to the greatest health and thriving of an organism, you know. I uh, you know, I have some ideas on that, especially the fasting. And so far, the way I've worked it out in my head is that there are a lot of studies and surveys that are pro fasting, but they don't exist. That's what I think. How do you mean? I think that a lot of them don't really exist, and. Because people are easily hackable subconsciously by the idea of social proof, someone just has to show up on Instagram and say a fad diet works yeah. and they're hooked. Yeah. And it's hard for them to detach from that and find some kind of individualism because from the day we are born, we are essentially kept in an infantilized state where yeah. someone outside of us needs to give us direction when internally we know what to do. And so we don't embrace the idea that each one of us is as unique as our thumbprint. Yeah. For example, I told you what I ate and it, it shocked you. I just eat potatoes, sweet potatoes, you know, other ground provisions, coconut, fruit, things like that. And I feel better than I ever have. And this has been going on for years now. Yeah. Whereas... I notice the difference because I'll play with it whenever I eat too much animal stuff. It'll make me feel really unwell. I'll get breakouts, all kinds of things like that. And that's just my individual feeling, how I feel. Mm -hmm. But people will want to mimic what I eat and then they feel like crap. And it's like, well, because you're yeah. not me. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Like, you don't, you don't have my genetic makeup. Yeah. So why don't you take the time to figure out what works for you? There's nothing wrong with eating meat or anything like that. What I realized, though, is that that's a big part of the machine as well. This yeah. idea that you need to eat meat three to five times a day is causing a lot of people a lot of health problems because their genetic makeup doesn't allow for that. Or maybe it's giving them digestive issues because they don't chew the food. Well, or enough. if it's poor, if the animals were of poor health, that's that's already the problem there. Yeah, and just maybe some people just eat too much of it, and 
they eat it with other things and you know digestive enzymes exist so there's a different digestive enzyme for a piece of broccoli than there is for a steak mm -hmm. and so if you're eating stuff and your stomach's like i don't know which enzyme to make then yeah you're gonna end up in trouble so then people want to fast to try to fix poor eating problems like you said mm -hmm. yeah, yeah and that's not really what it's for if you're trying to starve out uh, some dirty cells some dead cells or something sure but everything has its place it shouldn't be all the time like these people that eat the one meal a day diet because yeah, they yeah. think that they're trying to i don't know starve out these same dead cells or they want to stay lean or whatever I, yeah. I think something might be wrong if you can't find a diet that you can stay lean on you know <laughs> yeah yeah and then i think that's the other that's the other thing with the fasting and the intermittent fasting it's look it's look it looks like the researchers are, are chasing improvements in cardiometabolic markers and weight loss and the cardiometabolic markers what are they chasing lower cholesterol jesus goddamn christ your your phd in science in 2022 or 20 2020 and you still haven't gotten the memo that the whole cholesterol thing was just propaganda and marketing like they're still chasing freaking cholesterol reducing ldl and total cholesterol they're chasing reducing insulin and reducing blood sugar and literally chasing insulin and blood sugar is like it's like blood sugar is high Let's lower it. It's the same story as cholesterol is high in heart disease. Let's lower it. It's completely re forgetting that there's a reason why it's high. Not The fact that it's high is not the problem. It's the reason that it's high is the problem. And nobody's doing that in, in symptom-based allopathic medicine, you know? No, and they're not going to do it. They don't get paid to do that. <laughs> they no. get paid to do the opposite. But that's another thing I hear all the time, too. The, there's cholesterol or... I need to eat low fat or low carbs or it's just, just eat the freaking bread, man. Just shut up and eat the bread. And it's not going to do you anything unless it's GMO wheat. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have to, we have to just eat like our great, great grandparents, maybe of two, three, two, three hundred years ago, I think. Yeah. That's if we just do that. Or what I like to now say is if it wasn't available to your grandma, at least was it available to somebody's grandma around the world? Yes, sure. Maybe my grandma never ate papaya when she was, or my great-grandma never ate papaya. But, you know, somewhere there was still, the papaya was growing. So I think if we stick to those foods, it's, it's very, very difficult to overeat and gain weight on a whole, uh, just real food. And actually, since we last talked, bro, you know, I've actually stopped eating so much meat, not, not because... I wasn't feeling well on it or anything. I feel really good eating a lot of meat, but I started drinking milk. Uh, I started doing some experiments because my kid had to, I just found some really nice organic goat milk. That's 5% fat, really creamy and delicious. Like, like ice cream. It's amazing. So my kid, I, I, I'd give her that and I tried some and then I was like, Jesus Christ, this is so good. So I had a few bottles of that. And I basically I got addicted, dude. I'm I'm drinking like two liters of milk a day, and but because of that, I I don't feel like I need to eat eat as much meat. So I eat meat once a day, up to maybe twice a day, and much smaller portions. And I feel amazing, and I feel so good with milk. 
and I'm, I'm I'm actually happy. Honestly, I'm happy that less death has to occur for me to to get my calories in and my, all my nutrients and to still feel good. You know, so I I I don't really have a a problem. I I honestly I would eat just fruits if if I could thrive and be super healthy. It's I'm not an idealist about you have to be this, you have to be that. And I've done the vegan thing and the carnivore thing and the raw carnivore thing and the mix, all the mixes in between. And I, I just want to eat to feel amazing. So if I could do that, and I honestly believe maybe thousands of years ago, maybe we could have done that. Maybe there was so much more, uh, so many more minerals in the in the ground that we we're getting so much more nutrition out of even a carrot. Maybe because we weren't, under such insane levels of stress and we weren't born to sick mothers and there wasn't so much pollution, maybe we could have thrived on very basic just fruit, veg, and whatever else, berries, honey, we could find. But I just really don't think that is the case. But I'm, I'm, I'm actually glad I tolerate milk so well that I can just pump two, three liters a day and not... No, it, I, I wouldn't flinch, bro. I, I, I could drink milk all day like, without anything else. I could just be on milk all day. Uh, which is awesome. You know, that's interesting because, again, that's individualism right there. But I have heard that goat's milk and stuff is very good for you, mm -hmm. whereas cow's milk, maybe not so much. Same. And I've heard the same. The The thing with that is if you like I like cooking and I, it's not like a major passion or anything like that. But sometimes I fall down rabbit holes that have nothing to do with cooking whatsoever. And I find out things like, gosh, in the 15th century, tomatoes weren't even in Italy yet. So what yeah. did they eat before that? Yeah. You know, or the Greeks, they didn't always eat meat. They fluctuated between bread that was made of barley and soft cheese that was made from goat's milk. Yeah. Or... I think it was when they started having the, was it the Olympians or something like that? The thing, the diet changed and they started bringing in like lamb hmm. and calf meat, things like that. And uh, it was because of Pythagoras. He said that athletes need more fat and they need more protein than the average person. Mm -hmm. So, you know, start bringing those things in for the athletes and they would hmm. sacrifice the calf and then they would eat it and do things like that. So it's interesting because humans are omnivores and I don't know why that simple fact is so hard for people to absorb into their <laughs> minds and just yeah, eat whatever the hell you want. Whatever makes you feel good, eat it. If you don't yeah. feel good after you eat it, don't eat it. Yeah. And... and what else was I going to say here? We just get programmed with this idea of protein, 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 and it scares the shit out of most people. Most people won't admit that they're afraid when they hear it. It's the, more of the propaganda thing, but where's that coming from? It's coming from the Cold War where they had all of this milk that they sent over, and they were like, oh, we're going to lose millions of dollars on this milk. What do we do with it? Send it back to a lab somewhere, extract the whey from it, sell it to people and tell them they're uh, deficient in protein and they got to buy this product so that they can 
you know, get enough protein because they're low yeah. on it and they're going to die if they don't get it. And so you get all these people that are overeating protein and they're rock- walking around with gas coming out of their ass. <laughs> and they're like, ah, oh, I don't feel so good. But they continue to do it anyway, especially like people that go in the gym or bodybuilding. Like I don't but feel so good. It could be genetic. <laughs> here's a, yeah, here's a, a hint for you. If you're shitting all the time, something's going on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like something's stuck in your digestive system that you're trying to get out. There's a blockage there. Yeah. So I think people get propagandized into being afraid that they're not taking good care of their health. At the end of the day, yeah. that's the biggest problem. We need to shut this stuff out. And so that's actually a segue. After you say what you were going to say, that's a segue into our topic, disempowered yeah. focus versus empowered focus. Yeah, I can't even remember what I was going to say, but it's it was going to be something like, we're probably <clears throat> preaching to the choir talking about these things. But it's important. it's important to to state and restate them because <clears throat> marketing, propaganda, brainwashing, all that stuff, it works in both directions. So to unbrainwash yourself, you can't, you can't like all these doctors, you can't hear for 40 years of your career, you can't be telling patients cholesterol bad, heart going to cause heart disease, must lower cholesterol, statins good. And then someone comes and gives you all this research showing, oh, no, actually, High cholesterol is protective in older age. And, you know, for the love of God, cholesterol is a structural component in, in your cells. It's like 20% of your brain is cholesterol. Your steroid hormones, testosterone, protective hormones like DHA, progesterone are, you know, you use cholesterol to make those. And this doctor, imagine how uh, how crazy he would feel. How uh, How can he tell all of his patients that he's been telling for decades cholesterol is bad to suddenly tell them, no, it's, it's actually, no, it's totally fine. It's actually the, the seed oils that are really killing you and giving you heart disease and whatever else and cancer. They just can't do that. So we have to keep, I suppose, repeating the, what we believe is the truth because uh, like, I don't think people will hear it once and believe it. They have to hear it multiple times in order to really, for it to get to sink in. So I think that's important to for us to continue, even though sometimes I feel like I'm just repeating myself and probably people listening, I got Jesus Christ, this old spiel again, taking care of myself and eating well and eating real food. Well, God damn it. If you're, if you're eating 50 grams of polyunsaturated fats a day, you are going to have very serious health problems. Maybe yeah. not, not in five years or 10 years, but eventually it will catch up to you. Yeah, I don't know what's so difficult about it, honestly. Just... Eat an orange, eat a banana, eat some yeah. good meat that came from a happy cow, and yeah. shut up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and move. Let's move on to some other things like this. <clears throat> the yeah. diet thing should be freaking. It's like tying your shoe shoes. If you had to every day spend an hour learning how to tie your shoes, you wouldn't get much done. You wouldn't do much adulting. Right. It's like basic things, man. Like this, this should have, we should have known this by the time we we're like maybe 15, 16 at the latest, maybe 18 at the latest. And then we should be, we should be thri- happy and thriving because we eat good real food and we know how to take care of our body. And with that happiness and thriving sort of uh, vibe, we should be out there improving the world, not barely freaking surviving and just trying to keep it together until the weekend. So then we can, you know, have some, 
some a few drinks and maybe watch some Netflix and and order some takeout and just veg out on the couch and just get muster up strength so we can do that for another five days, be a wage slave and then survive through the week yeah. on coffee. And then Jesus Christ, do just re- repeat this until you you kind of yeah. um, you know just slowly perish and and God knows like and I then don't know, the what coffee masks all the symptoms of unwellness and it sneaks up on you one day and you got to go to the doctor and the doctor's like oh you got this label yeah <laughs> here's these drugs <laughs> let's see if we can cut something out of you maybe I think does it hurt here maybe you need to remove your gallbladder or something yeah well you know what though like. This turned into discussion on like health and the disturbing nature of health influencers on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. And, but it, it all comes back down to brainwashing because that's what they're doing. Brainwashing is the def. My definition of brainwashing is the process of convincing someone to give up their current or past beliefs in order to take in new beliefs and values. And we see a lot of that in the carnivore, the vegan, the keto. Uh, the fasting thing, it's coming at you all the time from all these different directions. And even if you are a level-headed, steadfast person, there's so much of it that it erodes your psyche. And I think that because a lot of brainwashing is done through enculturation, it's just how we're raised. We're raised being brainwashed and not knowing the truth from the brainwashing so we yeah. don't we don't have discernment and yeah. it screws with us because deep down there's this thing in the pit of our stomach that knows that this guy talking about eating raw meat is crazy and it's probably gonna <laughs> make us sick after some time like we can look at the liver king and see that he's on steroids but there's a part of us that denies it because we're like oh maybe they're right you know and what if we don't fit in or you know, whatever programming is going on along there. So, I've never actually seen this Brian Johnson guy, the Liver King, but holy cow. I just, I know I've heard of him, but I just saw a picture of him. Oh, yeah, that dude is juiced up. Yeah. He is juiced up. Yeah. But looks cool, though. <laughs> looks great. Holy God, man. This guy is a beast. <laughs> it's holy ridiculous. Jesus it annoys me Christ. because there's kids and stuff that I know in. They're just, <laughs> they think that he's really buff like that because he yeah. he's natural, you know? And so they're eating all these burgers and stuff. It's like, don't do that. Like, don't deviate Jeez. from what you know you should be eating to try to look like an idiot. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Just think for yourself. Start early. Think for yourself. But a it's really great book, though. Bro. Sorry? No, go ahead. It's the parents' fault, bro. Not judging, but... Not judging, but it's the parents' fault. These kids are not thinking for themselves. Yeah. Kind of. You know, I don't know if free will even exists at this point. <laughs> there, yeah. There's some neuroscience that suggests it doesn't. It suggests that there's parts of the brain that light up before a person makes a decision. So, I don't know. But a really great book for people who want to know what's going on with the food is read brandwashed by martin lindstrom he tells what's the name of the book brandwashed brand r-a-n-d-w-a-s-h-e-d by martin lindstrom <clears throat> and he was one of the top marketing guys out there 
and he's done lots of work for all these brands that he can't really list. He kind of gives you hints throughout the book, but he tells you how they literally set people up in these rooms warehouses and stuff overnight and they put all these products out and they test to see yeah. how well they can psychologically break you and get you to buy stuff and they've done everything including putting people on brain scans and using technology to blast at people when they're in stores to see how, you know their facial expressions everything they've done everything they can to make the products that they sell to you viable right i I just got the book. I, I typed it in DuckDuckGo and PDF after it, brandwashed space PDF, and mm -hmm. I found uh, the first link. I found a free PDF of it. So yeah. I'm definitely going to dip into this book. It's interesting. Yeah. It's a real interesting read, and it tells you exactly how they target children. Right? So. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for that one, uh, folks. Yeah. Type in brand washed space pdf in DuckDuckGo, and the first link if you click on that it will come up i literally just downloaded it and yeah actually i love this psychology stuff because again i don't have time to to dig into it much you know anyway i think we could talk about health and nutrition forever but let's talk about let's talk about so something we didn't cover the last time we were we you were on let us talk about the difference between disempowered focus and empowered focus and how, how what's the difference and how how do we know what we what fo focus mode we're in and how can we um escape disempowered focus let's start there well i'll start you off with the cliff notes if you're on your death rectangle and yeah. oh, there's a picture of me and my girlfriend let's not do that <laughs> if you're on your death rectangle and more than five minutes has passed and you haven't achieved anything, you're in disempowered focus. The same thing goes for being in front of the TV or the computer or whatever. If you're not there with a set goal in mind, you're going the opposite direction. But what I did was, I don't know if you can put like a link to this image or something somewhere that people can download it. Or what? I have to figure that out. The one you gave me. Yeah. Uh, I'll see if I can stick it on the website or something with this uh, episode. Or is there any way to put an image in the podcast of itself? I think there is. This, it's, uh, I'm not sure that it will be big enough for people to see, but I'll, I'll think of something. Right. So basically what I have here is a diagram that I made from... It, the origin of this diagram actually comes from Stephen Covey. Seven Habits of the Highly Successful People, or whatever it is. It was, wait, wait, it was the What's it? 24 hours to a, the highly effective four-hour giant in seven days or your money back. Some, like, some, something marketing -y like that, right? No, it's Seven Habits, seven of, habits of, of Effective People. Yeah, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or something like that. Yeah. Anyways. So I took that model and I changed it. And I, I came up with this idea of disempowered focus versus empowered focus. Because all the things in the disempowered focus are the things that self-sabotagers <laughs> are focusing on. 
And so at the top, I have what controls you. And in red, there's the weather, the news, family, TV and movies, social media, music, the economy, people's ideas about me, wars and terrorism, celebrities, the next threat, what's trending, and fashion. And there's any person on this planet can look at themselves if they're being honest and be like, hey, you know what? I do worry about these things from time to time. Or I do see these things on the TV. Because it's pretty simple. My first mentor, not my first mentor, like my second one, I studied NLP and stuff with this guy. First thing he said is, there's a cryptocracy. Crypto means secret. And basically, there's a secret government. Who is that secret government? The media. Why do you think the government and the media are so close? They tell you what to think all the time. There's a good chance that something that you believe right now is coming from the media. So all this stuff that I talk about, the TV being bad, it didn't start with me. There's other people teaching this stuff. It's not yeah. you know, a new thing. And in that circle, you have your thoughts, your beliefs, your behavior, your opinions, and your choices. So I like to say, when is the last time you had an original thought? And a lot of people cannot answer that question because they're getting all of their information from somewhere else. They're following celebrities. They're worried about what's trending. We have the next threat going, whether it's the Ukraine or Israel or whatever. They're listening to music. Whatever Rihanna did, they got to <laughs> emulate that. And they got to do their hair in a weird thing. You know, everybody's wearing this weird freaking mushroom head hairstyle now. The guys where they got either beads or braids or whatever the hell it is. Like nobody has any originality anymore, right? They're worried about the economy is going to crash. All this dumb shit. Their family has more of a say in what they do than they care to admit. If the weather is bad, they're in a bad mood. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And that's how people are living their lives. So that's why in the center you have your thoughts because you control your thoughts. Your beliefs, you can control those. Ultimately, your behavior is based on your choices. Your opinions are ultimately irrelevant if you get them from other people. <laughs> and your choices, like I said, they're all up to you. You are deciding every day, every minute of the day, what am I going to do? But people who are chronic self-sabotagers, they don't realize that. So by the very nature of self-sabotage, engaging in any of these things for too long, you're screwing up your life. You have no right worrying about any of that stuff. So on the other side, empowered focus, your attitudes what you like or dislike, where you live, the places you go, what you read, what you write, what you listen to, what you do for money, what you eat, your beliefs, all those things are your choices. And all those things have control over what you create, over your legacy, what you leave behind for your children, your health, your wealth, your mind, your spirit. And we started off this discussion talking about all of that stuff, right? 
So ultimately, it's what controls you versus what you control. Most people are giving up all of their autonomy, all of their individualism to other stuff. I agree. Yeah. So true, man. Like this, folks listening, I, I, normally I'm too lazy to create a, a post for an episode, but for this one, I will create a post on my website and I'll link it. If you click it in the in the show notes, it will this image will come up so you can you can see exactly what we're talking about. It looks it looks really uh, when you kind of look at what controls you, you know, or it's like yeah, today I was walking my dog in the morning and this uh, weather uh, or rather the rain really started lashing down on me, right? So uh, I think just that alone how many people's attitude about the day is can be wrecked by the weather it's because it's rainy it's gloomy you can't get out of the house you know and then what are you going to do you're going to open your phone i'm just going in kind of around your your circle of the things you've written then you you know you check out your phone and oh my god you know israel um declared war and then you know someone in your family decides they need they need you to do something for them or you're gonna watch some something on netflix that is further you know brainwashing you and changing your choices what you value like what what is a healthy person what is a beautiful person what are things to value material possessions you must acquire in order to be you know to elevate yourself to the next level in society or whatever else social media yeah like the music like some dude some of the music like some people listen to can you imagine can you imagine listening to pop music and stuff on the radio and stuff on mtv all your life just that alone oh, how much that will God. brainwash you and influence you and a mean? lot of older <laughs> satanic sort of motifs like beyonce jay-z all these all these satanic motifs in music nowadays imagine exposing your children to that from a super early age that is horrendous i mean that is that is a valid point there is some dark stuff going on i was just talking with my girlfriend yesterday about one of the kids she put on her playlist and one of the songs was talking about eating your ass like a cupcake jesus dude I was annoyed by that. <laughs> I'm a different animal than my girlfriend is. I would have taken her phone and thrown it out the fucking window. But yeah. and she would not be getting another one because that's just ridiculous. See, she should know better by now that listening to stuff like eating your ass like a cupcake is ridiculous. Yeah, man. But, you know, what's the other one she was listening to? Pop it like a wheelie or something like that. And it's just all sexual innuendo, nonstop. Yeah. And it's disgusting, dude. Yeah. And we're starting to notice that there's like certain things about this kid's behavior that are changing, especially now that she's getting into boys and stuff like that. And it's like, well, no shit. If you're listening to Pop It Like a Wheelie and, you know. Yeah. What is the, there's one lyric in that song that's really weird, like slob on my cat or something like that. Like, Jesus, dude. Like, really, really. That is just fucking disgusting that, <laughs> that 
that kids have to be exposed to that. And these people perpetrating this are just sick, sick, sick puppies, dude. Yeah. Just, I, I don't know. I'm trying to be a bit PC in the language more recently on the podcast, but uh, that's just makes me really fucking angry, bro. Yeah. I, <laughs> but this is the problem though. There's still so many people that don't realize that all this stuff, it matters. It's not like, you know, they'll get over it. These kids, they can't make decisions for themselves. There's something in a teenager's brain, especially where they still have not learned to decide what yeah. is good and what is bad. They're all running off of social proof. Like I went through the stages yeah. of cognitive development with you last time, I think. Yeah. John Piaget's stages of cognitive development. Yeah. Yeah. And we're all just in a never-ending cycle of trying to resolve programming but if something's repetitive and it's you know social proof will say it's it's good or it's fun they're never going to make a choice for themselves to do the opposite i've met very few kids that actually want to think for themselves and a big part of the problem too like you said is that some of the parents are into this stuff oh yeah i know a uh, girl right now that she's got a lot of issues and her kid's only eight years old and her kid's already got all the same issues as her at eight yeah. jeez yeah yeah i mean we internalize it from our parents that's why like um i'm just really with my wife we before we we um before she got pregnant we we're doing a lot of internal work with I don't know if you know Mark Wallin's, um, you know, he wrote his, that for his first book was called It Didn't Start With You about transgenerational trauma. Yeah. Generational trauma. Yeah. It's a really good book. So we're doing that kind of stuff and other internal work. So hopefully we would imprint less because it's just by default, just because life is so hectic and stressful by default, you imprint so much bad of your bad habits on your kids so the more you can consciously try to bring to light and ideally remove from your psyche early on the better off i guess your kid will be long term and your whole lineage will be long term but um what the hell was i where was i getting at yeah like exactly like these kids are internalizing our state from a very early age so if you're if you're really messed up like if you if you're in and out of relationships or your parents are fighting a lot or you know god forbid the kid has to live through a divorce a, a lot of these dysfunctional patterns will be their model for how they create relationships with with the opposite sex or whatever they're the whatever sex they're attracted to so i think a lot of people still we're still operating on a very like you said we're very infantile for a very long time a lot of us are very very much operating at a very infantile level where we're not we're not understanding the, the how actually how complex this 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 whole milieu is and it's not oh you know i i my kid, I was frustrated. I was tired. My kid was annoying. So I just shouted, hoping she would stop. And like these things are imprinted. Like even I find myself like when I'm kind of at the end of the day, really tired after a long day of doing stuff and whatever else. And 
my kid is like, <laughs> you know, putting herself in a dangerous position. So I'm like, sometimes I don't, I'm not shouting at her, but like I'm saying, no, get off there, you know. And like I told you, that's dangerous. And I I know once in a while it's okay, but I know being in that pattern because you're stressed is very easy to get to, and this really imprints on on the child and changes their their whole psyche forever and how they interact with other people and usually in, in yeah. a negative way if i'm well, being things clear. like that are different like that's why i said i would throw the damn phone out the window like i don't care because yeah. at some point the dad the male figure has to say no that's a boundary yeah. and there has to be a big consequence like the kid has to suffer if they're going to continue to push that boundary it yeah, has yeah. to be some some consequence that is going to show them that i'm serious and no you're not getting another phone you know better than this, but I'm not a shouter either. I, I don't yeah. think there's any merit in shouting for any reason, unless somebody's all the way over there and <laughs> or you're at a football match, right? <laughs> Soccer match. And when you get stressed out and yeah. stuff, you just kind of have to realize you need to name it and shame it first off before you deal with the situation. Okay, I'm stressed out. I feel like I want to shout. I feel like I want to get physical. Are you going? You 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 do exactly what's needed you pick the kid up and say i told you we're not doing that here's what we're doing instead and there's something inside of that kid that fires off subconsciously that they have to take you seriously they're like he just picked me up move me I, <laughs> he's serious because they have to be aware of like they have to learn to on the other end of things they have to know that your moods are readable things they have to be able to read the room because a lot of these kids they grow up these days and they don't you know this yeah. is where all this social anxiety and shit's coming from mm. they don't know what people's facial expressions are they can't read the energy yeah. or anything like that yeah. so and all this sugar and stuff that's going into these kids brains it makes them impenetrable in a way because they can't see the tv screen screws up their ability to see that too yeah all these yeah. mobile phones and ipads and stuff it yeah. breaks them so they can't tell what's going on with other people so you've really got to do the artistic thing show don't tell you know i think that's the first rule <laughs> you know what i i noticed bro it's hilarious but i i don't know was it my wife or did i send it to her but i saw some article that i didn't read because like I, I don't read bullshit articles on so social media but somewhere something was posted apparently kids misbehave 800 percent more when they're with their moms as opposed to that when they're with the dad so i sent that just the article to my wife and she's like you know laughing because it seems like that's the case like my, we and my daughter <clears throat> will be spending the whole morning together and not a single moan cry tear is shed right we're just having fun reading books she's on at one point she'll do her thing i'll kind of clean around the kitchen whatever else and then my wife comes home and then it, it then it starts yeah mama this and you know like all this kind of stuff and then when my wife is alone with with my daughter for a few hours my wife is freaking exhausted because she's demanding she wants to be held she's in her face do this climbing on her whatever else and like yesterday, no, even it was today, I was, I was cooking something and she's coming up to me 
and she's like what's this uh she's like you know in this uh in the book and I'm like i'm there over a hot stove you know i'm like I'm like I'm, I'm busy at the moment i can't tell you what that is right now you know and then she goes to to um to my wife and but the, but the uh, the thing is she already sees when i'm not i'm not either not necessarily not in the mood but i'm not available to engage whatever like is that teddy bear look i can't look at teddy bear right now she sees that because she sees i'm being serious i'm not making eye contact i'm doing something and she knows already at two years of age for whatever reason it's a bit more the story with with the moms but um it's interesting how you say if you're kind of just looking at people on a screen because especially like on a on a movie you're only seeing snippets of a conversation with very static images and people talking and you're not really seeing the same vibe and you're not feeling the energy of the person. And if you're on a, on a phone, a lot of your energy is actually changed because you're, you know, in a better state or, or, or whatever, better freaking waves in the brain. I'm not even sure what, what exactly that is. But um, you're also getting exposed to EMFs, which, which could be disrupting some type of metabolism of the cell. So I can see why children nowadays are disadvantaged in terms of their social development and are, are developing social anxiety, which is then freaking treated with SSRIs or tranquilizers, which is just a level of evil and criminality that I, I, I scarcely begin can begin to comprehend, man. Yeah, you got to bear with me here. Somebody came along outside and upset the chickens. They're real mad now. <laughs> No, it's okay. They're not so loud now with this with this mic setting. Oh yeah, so good. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that I don't know if it's eight hundred times more. That seems like an over exaggeration. Eight hundred percent. Eight hundred percent. Yeah, that seems like an over exaggeration. Yeah. I've heard that, and it just goes to show you how quickly these mind viruses kind of spread around the planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I see it. I see that children experience these micro rejections anytime you're doing anything that takes away focus from them they go nuts yeah and um i think that that is one of the problems that these death rectangles every time i say death rectangle i hold this up yeah, yeah, so yeah. people know that that's that's all it fosters that better death. be on airplane mode now bro this i never turn my phone on airplane mode because i just don't respond to anybody's messages i don't care <laughs> no, no, I mean, it should be on airplane mode, therefore it shouldn't be giving you, you know, what? face cancer or whatever. I, I just, Otherwise, it's irradiating you. Well, it, it can irradiate me. I, ne I never use it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's off, is it? Yeah. I good. just turned it off after I showed you the thing. Yeah. yeah. Good, good, good. Sorry, I interrupted. It's you. usually off most of the time when I'm not using it. I'll turn it on, turn it off. I'm surprised it hasn't broken yet. I just throw it around everywhere. Anyways. What was I saying? These kids, Sorry, they don't know. Fun. Yeah, they don't know what's going on when you're doing anything. But these phones and stuff create rejection in a child. Because they don't have any sense of time either. Or distance. Or any ability to regulate and so if you're more interested in something that looks ridiculous to them i mean look at this this is just a piece of plastic 
they're like, why is daddy or mommy always playing with their toys and not with me? So they learn that a hunk of plastic is more important than them. Yeah. What are you teaching your kids? Yeah. So sometimes like when you're like over the hot stove or whatever, you just got to ask the kid, are you hungry? Because I'm cooking. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> the only thing you can do. Like, even if it comes yeah. off a bit snarky, like I'm cooking for you. Yeah. Can't talk about teddy bears now. Do you want those tacos? Or do you want me to tell you what this animal is that I told you 16 times yesterday? And exactly. you already know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, she just wants yeah. attention, you know. It's, but you got to bear with yeah. those things because life is not perfect. Of course. And I think that people also make bad parenting choices because they get caught up in this idea that I need to be a perfect parent. Or there's the other yeah. spectrum where they just don't care. <laughs> See, I know? think the the problem with perfection is also if you then make a mistake, you can completely fall off the wagon because, oh, it's not perfect, therefore it, it, it might as well disintegrate completely. Mm -hmm. I think this, I don't know where, where this comes from. <clears throat> Maybe you can tell us your view on why, why people are perfectionists, but um, I think that's when I let go of that, it allowed me to actually start getting more stuff done and start producing more things that were imperfect, but they were better than not doing anything because of the fear. Oh, it's going to suck. First iteration will suck. So I'm going to procrastinate by researching all these things and not actually put pen to paper or whatever I'm, I'm trying to do. See, that's an interesting one because I have a few theories that I can come up with uh, and it's all research-based. If you look at the history of childhood trauma, that is, and this is going to, I'm, I'm going to give a disclaimer here because there's a lot of licensed psychologists and people who think that they're smart because they have a PhD that attack me or they are like, I disagree because they've been brainwashed as well. And I don't know how many times I have to explain the Jean Piaget's thing for people to get it. But childhood trauma is just a label that has been taken over the decades and plastered onto everything. The imperfection that we have, it comes as a result of being a soul that ultimately knows that it has been separated from this source of creation and it has to find its way back to that it has to find its way back to this idea of perfection by carving away what it is or what it isn't like a sculpture subconsciously we're looking for that and we're looking for other people's approval when we're children we're trying to learn things so that we can fit into the society so that we don't die all that stuff right but, I mean, if you look at how we're raised with the concept of the infantilization, where from the time we are born, we are dependent on someone else to feed us, clothe us, clean us, approve of our behavior, disapprove of our behavior, to tell us what's right, what's wrong, what's, you know, all of that kind of becomes the lens that we view things through. Mm 
So, for a child, the concept of a crisis and a regular everyday emotional stimulus are one and the same. But people want to hype that up and say it's childhood trauma and all this stuff. And now we have all these idiots walking around talking about attachment styles and this other garbage about trauma bonding and all this stuff, right? <laughs> but you think that's BS, yeah? <clears throat> I it's you see there's the problem is is that there's something to it, but it's been taken and spun on its head just like everything else and it's been weaponized yeah. now. So everything's yeah. childhood trauma, everything's because of your attachment styles, everything's because of some crisis affliction that you've had that's destroyed you on the inside and all of that so that they can give you medication all that so they can give you um you know like label yeah a label and you know push you into a box and keep you really small and what people will do is they know that the, the the human farmers they know that if a person has a label they will become that that will be their identity for anything up to a lifetime and it will not change until someone gives them a better label that works because we've been infantilized it's done on purpose everything about the way society is set up is to keep us in that childlike state of disequilibrium and what parents need to do is exactly what was done before childhood trauma was a household concept discipline your children teach them right from wrong teach them how to develop the correct coping skills and how to respond to the things that feel like crisis appropriately so now there's no longer a distinction between someone who has been traumatized because someone interfered with them you know abused them and a person who stubbed their toes a lot when they were a kid because, you know, mommy was walking and they were trailing behind and they didn't see where they were going and they smacked into something or, you know, their mom had to get shitty with them over homework or something like that. Like everything is a trauma now. Every yeah. single thing is a trauma. And people are constantly looking to the past by nature for something to be wrong. That's what we do. It's the it's the cognitive behavioral model. A plus B equals C. A being the trigger, B being the belief about it, and that equals C, a consequence. And unless we teach our children to think like that, we're not going to raise like what we talked about in the last episode, a fully functioning human being. We have to teach them from early that the way that you feel is not you. And that we'll get rid of half of the trauma in adulthood. Nobody talks about adulthood trauma. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Why is that? Because anything can happen at any time that makes a change to your emotional state, hacks your limbic system, and you create new subconscious programs, which are meanings that you assign to something, or you begin to run existing subconscious programs. But then we have the TV which does a lot of stuff to people because if anybody's ever watched an episode of Friends or something, 
you know, you learn to keep secrets. This is an actual thing that's happened in my sessions, by the way. A person learned to keep secrets because that's what they did on Friends. Or I think I told you about the lady that she just started smoking. She she can't quit smoking and she has problems with men and stuff because Bridget Jones's Diary is one of her favorite movies. She, oh, you were. I think you were saying that. Yeah, right? So... I love to use those examples because they're easy and everybody can relate to it because most people have seen friends. I have someone in my life that will remain nameless that turned into a moniker about the cleanliness, like a fucking psychopath level. You know what I mean? Like loop the loop shall remain nameless. But um, yeah, that's, that's how, that's how powerful this stuff is. And you're right. uh, That's another nice term that you use the human farmers that's uh, they know that they know people will be influenced by that yeah i can't remember where i took that human farmers thing from it was a in a book i was reading i think it was on i think it was called operation mind control i can't remember who the author is walter bowman somebody like that anyways but yeah I didn't really mean to get onto this whole psychological childhood trauma thing, but you have to teach people crisis management. You have to teach them how to give themselves psychological first aid from the time they're a child. Because I like to use this example of like a little kid on a playground. If a kid falls down and scrapes their knee, they look around for approval first. Yes, They're looking yes. for the parent to be like, hey, that was terrible what happened to you. But if you don't do that, then you don't reinforce that crisis mode. And that should be so simple for people. But it's not. And so if you look at where psychological trauma is really coming from, the root of childhood trauma started only in the later part of the 19th century. It started with a guy called Jean-Martin Charcot or something like that. And he basically was the guy that was talking about hysteria in women, I think it was. And where he was saying that, like, whenever people were coming down with hysteria, they just were incoherent. They couldn't describe what was going on with them. And I'm searching for the right words here and the right storyline because a lot of the people that, are pushed yeah that's really what i want to say a lot of people who are pushed in your face all the time and they're like this is the end all be all of psychology like sigmund freud Mm. and stuff who by the way fuck sigmund freud i mean i don't really want to be like that but fuck freud (laughs) freud was notoriously bad at hypnotherapy which is why he had to stay in the lane that he was in I mean, the dude clearly wanted to bang his mom. Excuse me. He had a lot of psychological problems himself that weren't dealt with. So he had no right to be telling anybody about anything. He was a crackhead his whole life. Uh, he was on coke. Yeah, he was. Okay. Yeah. He even wrote Uber Coca about how much he loved cocaine. And <laughs> when he couldn't snort Uber cocaine coke. anymore because he had a sinus problem, he wrote it his sinuses, he would just put it in water and get a a small paintbrush and rub it on the inside of his nostrils so he could get high. He was always high. Now, why on earth would you take psychological facts from a cokehead? Whoa, whoa, whoa. So Uber Coca 
was was on Freud's experiences with cocaine. That's the thing he wrote, right? Yeah. Freud's cocaine discoveries. Holy Jesus! Right. Holy Jesus! And Christ. so, and the same thing goes for Carl Jung too. Carl Jung was kind of crazy, and he was a dark occultist. Really? Uh, yeah. Wow. So you're basically you could as well be taking theories from any person from the Theosophical Society that they're just talking spiritual stuff. C.W. Leadbeater or Annie Besant or any of those darker occultists. So you think the Theosophical Society were were was there anyone in there that was good like Blavatsky or something? Dark occultist. Really? <laughs> yeah, a lot of these people they, they have their lighter side, but then they also were mostly dark. They were into the darker arts and stuff like that, right? And all of this is stuff that's suppressed. But I think that people are largely disadvantaged where this is concerned because we're just forced to believe whatever narrative is out there about someone. We, if we have the light and the dark, we can make a choice on our own. That's our personal choice. So that's how they take free will from us. And they're like, Sigmund Freud said this, so it must be true. William James said this, so it must be true. But... Wait, what so William saying. James was a, a plonker too, or what? William James was, I guess, could be considered the father of modern psychology, essentially. Right. And where I'm going with the William James thing is that you're dealing with human beings who are also imperfect. They are not very good at causal linkage. In other words, what is the cause of this effect? They're just using whatever research they have in the moment to quantify something that isn't static. Does that make sense? There, everything exists on a large spectrum when you're dealing with the human psyche. One thing that causes something in someone else might not do something to the other person. So you're talking about Sigmund Freud and William James and I think it was Pierre Janet who were trying to come up with a cure for hysteria. And that's really the root of the childhood trauma because it evolved over the years. And then they started figuring out that people would go into altered states of consciousness based on these emotional reactions to what the individual person deemed as being traumatic. So... Here we are with this theory again that something could happen to me. I might think it's traumatic, but you'd be like, oh, that's nothing, bro. This is what happened to me the other day, right? <laughs> yeah. So we have to be careful with this and put that childhood trauma thing back into the box where it belongs because it's been taken and it's been hijacked. And a lot of this stuff is really the reason why we've seen it come up so often over the past few decades is because it really just only came to light somewhere around 1992. I think it was after after World War One. I, I think that's when it really started coming out with the PTSD thing because that, that was originally called shell shock. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think that was a guy called Charles Myers. And what he was trying to do is he was trying to make it into a nervous disorder because it was directly correlated. The cause was 
the exploding shells in the war, right? And so what they figured out is that the soldiers that didn't see any combat at all would also get the same kind of condition. And I'm trying to remember exactly what it is they said. I think it was that it was just exposure to war alone was enough to produce hysteria. And they realized that women that were having hysteria and these soldiers that were just merely exposed to war, it, it was essentially the same phenomenon. So, <laughs> actually, at first, they were like, is this really a disorder is, or is this just cowardice? Is this some kind of a neurosis that these people developed? And then that's when they started like giving electric shock therapy and stuff like that, trying to, it's, I don't know why they thought this would work, but they thought they would scare the trauma out of the guy. <laughs> well, but uh, to me, to me, all the stuff about trauma, this was a childhood trauma. And, you know, I. by the way, I, I do believe, I do believe <clears throat> that trauma can play a role, but definitely is overblown. But it's another way to keep us uh, in that victim state where you're very, very disempowered. But I, I do like, Jesus, right. why am I blanking exactly. on the That's guy's name? That's what you're saying. What you're saying is exactly it. And so the root cause... And we would see less trauma of any kind if we would just teach emotional intelligence. If we would just teach self-regulation. If we would just be the, I wouldn't say the pinnacle of self-regulation. But if we could learn to deal with our emotions, our children would learn how to deal with our emotions. If we would learn to step out of the victimhood and you know step out of that Stephen Cartman's victim triangle the victim persecutor rescuer thing if we could learn to live like that children would have less trauma and there would be less yeah. crap that people would have to deal with later on in their lives and then there wouldn't be any adulthood trauma you get what i'm saying because tough things happen all the time tough things that's just the nature of life yeah, I, I, I do like uh, Stanislav Grof's work. Have you looked into kind of yeah. the birth trauma? I, yeah. I honestly believe that that is probably a bigger cause of, I suppose, because if you have some type of trauma, I, I remember one case in one of his books. He was talking about the guy was basically, I think he, the dude was born and uh, the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck. So he was being suffocated during the birth process. So he would in find he would put himself in dangerous situations. Uh, he would get guys to kind of like you know sadomasochistically sort of torture him, you know, strangle him. <clears throat> he would put him himself in these positions. Uh, he'd find these guys that would want to do that, and it, this pattern started there. And after LSD psychotherapy. Once he experienced that birth trauma and it escaped his body because it was kind of the, the wave was allowed to complete and, yeah. you know, joined back in the ocean or whatever analogy you can use there. 
that those patterns disappeared. And I noticed when my dog is terrified, she was very traumatized when we adopted her. But and any dog is like this. But when she's very terrified, she just starts to shake, 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 shake. And then, you know, an hour later, it's as if it never happened. She doesn't hold any any of this trauma. It's just, I think, what you said about emotional regulation probably feeds right into there. Because if we learn how to experience, what it, not, not the trauma, but the, the event that was disturbing in whatever way, physically, emotionally, if we if we learn how to experience it fully and not latch onto it in the body somehow, maybe yeah. that's, that's one of the emotional regulation ways that where we can just, you know, move on. And the yeah. next day you wake up with, you know, blank slate. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the dog shivering thing is like the David Berselli's work on trauma release exercises and stuff right. where he just makes people shake. And that's what like, does it work? combat yeah it works for combat veterans and stuff that have ptsd and stuff you know he puts them through these exercises and they move that out of the body but then you have to learn to deal with that psychological aspect of it sure sure. and it all comes back down to this holistic approach if you're walking around in a state of fear all the time then you're going to look for everything to be a, a debilitating um form of trauma for you if you don't know how to deal with it you've been you you're living with the mind of an infant you're going to think that everything is traumatic and that's why i get into cognitive distortions because in self sabotage we all have these cognitive distortions where we're catastrophizing or we have black and white thinking and all, all these different things but that's how little kids think so it's easy to try to pin the blame on childhood trauma but then i love to talk about dr tana denim in her book manufacturing victims where she calls out the industry uh, basically the psychologists and psychiatrists will put people on a couch and talk to them and they will not really so much regress people but keep poking around in the same area all the time and if you keep poking around in a person's mind in a particular time period looking for problems a person's going to believe maybe i do have problems that started in childhood and a lot of that's what's going on and that's why i'm an unpopular person when i start talking about this kind of stuff but i think that's ridiculous because we can't help people if we're not looking at the whole picture if we're not looking at that's what's what i really said earlier bro I, I know exactly what you're talking about because that's what i yeah. said earlier uh, academia science medicine they're looking to find pathology Whereas the secret, not the secret, but the key is to create conditions for, for optimal health, be that physical, emotional, psych psychological, whatever health you're talking about. That's, that's what we have to focus on instead of, but let, let's figure out when you were four, did your, you know, your uncle pull your ear because the stupid adults thought that you were trying to cross the road when a car was coming even though you weren't which is actually one of my one of my early traumatic memories i, I was crossing <clears throat> I, was, I was playing with my ball we were up in the mountains with our family and my cousins and uh i dropped my i, I dropped my ball on the road and there was a car slow very moving very slowly and i was on the sidewalk and I knew I had to wait for the car. Maybe I was four, I don't know, five, I don't know, I don't remember. But I knew I had to wait for the car. 
and I just put one foot down from the sidewalk onto the street and I was still, you know, three meters away, four meters away from the car. But this car, it was going so slow. The guy just rammed the, the brakes and the, the tire screeched and everybody sort of got in a kerfuffle. And I was there like, Jesus Christ, you know. So then my mother, my dad was there. I'm going to kick your ass. Uh, and my mother's like, oh, what's happening? And then I remember later my uncle, like they created this whole big fucking hubbub over nothing, bro. My uncle's there, don't cross the road if there's car. And then I was working with an NLP dude uh, uh, two, three years ago on some stuff. And I remember this and like, I just remember like looking at it from an adult's point of view, disassociating from the kind of the, the emotion. Like I can see how that can traumatize people. Uh, because these all of those adults in in my family, they were uh, in that moment of time they were all just irrational retards with com- completely detached from the true situation of what happened. You know what I mean? So had I did if I had the ability to explain to kind of be level headed because the whole time was just like looking around like what the fuck is going on? You know what I mean? Like I had no idea what's going on. So I can see like. Adults being retards, which many are, unfortunately, because we're just repeating the same patterns and and imprinting from our early uh, uh, childhood. It's going to cause a lot of issues with with kids. But I don't feel like I was traumatized by by that experience. I'm I'm annoyed. Even like the reason I mentioned it now is I remembered a few days ago when we were talking with my wife. It jogged the memory. So it's kind of it's fresh in my head now. But. It's annoying now when I think about it as from an adult's perspective of how retarded these people raising us are when you actually think about it, but it's not traumatizing. Yeah. A lot of <laughs> stuff that happens is just ridiculous, but you, you see how your mind's just passing things through these filters, right? Yeah. And yeah. See stuff like that. You were correct. Like stuff like that. That's not trauma. It's just an event. But yeah. we're being conditioned to think that everything is a trauma, rather than seeing some things as events that yeah. we have the power to change at any time. If you can remember it, you have the power to change it. And yeah. until that becomes a popular idea in society, I don't know what's going to happen to all of us. Right. And if you can't remember it, there's always ayahuasca, LSD, San Pedro. Or you can pay me to slap you. I can slap the shit out of you and remember it real quick. I mean, <laughs> this is like, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Because this gets into the conversation of memory and stuff. This is why like EMDR is really useful for trauma or non-trauma it doesn't matter or or even some of the things that that i do with people are very useful because you have things like implicit memories that are just made up of like actions that you've taken and that are based on your emotional conditioning and you can consciously access those things but those fall under the category of like your motor skills you know learning to walk and stuff you don't really have to remember how to walk that's all subconscious right so if you have a bad accident though you have to relearn to walk and it takes a long time but you don't actually have to remember that 
you just have to retrain the body to tap back into that, right? So it's kind of like when you have to defrag your computer or something, but then you have explicit memories where you can consciously recall these things at any time, and they're just files on a computer hard drive. And um, I think it's semantic, which semantic memories are like your knowledge of something, ideas about something, and then episodic memories are like experienced events. And if most people could become aware of that idea alone, that's very empowering because you realize, okay, I have these two categories of, of memories and I can actually do stuff with them all the time, right? But mm -hmm. what I really want to take this, there's different parts of the limbic system because you know this is what I talk about, that it's, it's the hippocampus and like the amygdala and stuff, right? Yeah, Everybody yeah. knows by now what the amygdala is, I, I would hope. And that's all about the regulation of fear. So the question is, if I remember something, how afraid am I of it? And what's the purpose for that fear? What was I trying to protect myself from? But the amygdala is also going to kind of like encode you with sensory information. And if it's something that has to do with being safe, it's going to try to hardwire as much information as possible into you. Even stressful things like yeah. your daily everyday stress. And the more emotion there is, the more... I guess the more information is going to be stuck in your body. But stuff like the hippocampus is responsible for your time perception. And um, it helps with the storage of memories. But, man, this is so much information. I feel like I'm just, like, dumping right now. <laughs> it's... Increased levels of emotion and stress actually impair the function of the hippocampus. So there's this distortion that occurs between you and the thing that you're remembering, right? And that's really? what kind of, in my opinion, that's what kind of makes uh, a present trauma from the past feel so real. You get what I'm saying? Mm. Like the, just you that know, area of the brain. And that's why like... Some, like just smoking weed works for some people because the hippocampus is what is really affected by that marijuana, right? right. And it, it can help them deal with stuff like that. And I think that that's the basics of psychedelics too because it activates mm. that part of the brain and it, it releases those memories. And it, it, it so it gives you the information of like what time period it happened, how much stress you were under. But then you can actually, for the first time, step back from the event itself and you can look at it and be like oh yeah that really wasn't a trauma that's embarrassing you know <laughs> mm. yeah it's interesting a, few, a couple of days ago i was looking at <clears throat> some studies where apparently chronic stress atrophies the hippocampus and the prefrontal cor cortex where memory learning executive function are facilitated by those regions. And I think it was a, there, there was seeing, and this was a rat studies, animal studies, but they were seeing increased growth, evidence for increased growth in the amygdala. So I can really see how 
chronic stress, which, you know, cortisol, although when you're a kid, before puberty, you have more of the youth hormones like progesterone, pregnenolone, and DHEA. They're protective against, or they counterbalance cortisol much better. But, you know, cortisol production peaks around, I think, 11 or 13 years of age, and it stays that way or increases, whereas the other things start start to go down with age. So I can see how elevated cortisol chronically with those effects and the other effects it has on kind of the organism, it can really really distort or I think also cortisol can help consolidate short-term memories. So you can actually, it's like a protective mechanism. So if something happens, it raises your cortisol. Let's say, you know, you burn yourself, that raises your cortisol it imprints that memory so you don't do that again. But I guess if it's elevated long-term, it can dysregulate a number of different regions of the brain, other hormones, protective hormones. And I think that's where a memory can get kind of, just an, a, an event can get stuck, quote-unquote, and then we can sort of create a trauma or create a, a mountain out of a molehill where, you know, and that that kind of causes, like for example, if you're in in the context of PTSD, if you go and see pretty horrific events, if you don't, if your cortisol is super super high for an extended period of time, if your protective or counterbalancing steroid hormones are not doing their job because of diminished production in in your 30s or 40s, I can see how that, along with ruminating, will create this sort of recurring traumatic. Uh, uh, rumination memories, and you really at that point, I really feel like you need you need a more serious intervention, and be that some type of supplement that can actually diminish cortisol production or hypnotherapy or NLP. There's a lot of different ways to skin the cat, but I really think there comes a time where uh, if you've let that process go on for too long, you're gonna need somebody to help you out. Be that someone like yourself, Jahan or a supplement, certain supplements can, or certain pharmaceuticals, they can work really well to oppose cortisol or block cortisol. And um, actually things that can- Or exercise. Block, or, <laughs> but, but here's the thing, that's what I'm saying. Sometimes meditation, exercise, breath work are not enough. If you've let that damage occur or that, that thing accumulate for so long that it's diagnosable as PTSD or some serious other thing, Sometimes you need, I think you need more help than just, you know, taking a walk and meditating and and things like that, eating well and exercising. Yeah, I think that there, if you're so bad that somebody's giving you a label for PTSD, you need to go immediately to someone else's office that's going to start walking you through these steps to learn how to self-reflect because it's coming right back down to what what are the solutions that we have. Self-reflection. We don't spend enough time alone anymore and we're not skilled anymore asking ourselves questions about what actually happened. When something really traumatizing is happening, okay, let's say, let's, let's get theoretic, theoretical here. Let's go back to what a normal memory is a normal memory is like a birthday party or something and that gets stuck to use your words in you 
with a, a date stamp and you remember that your, your your 30th birthday was really great or whatever and it's like a picture and you can see yourself in the memory and it, it's a real objective position so you can become aware that it's an event from the past right that makes it easy but traumatic memories for people are more like movies and this is where crackhead freud's repetition <laughs> compulsion theory comes into play because that's you know something that he was right about it's repetitive it's a movie that plays over and over and over but you don't have a timestamp. it's really hard to get a, a read on when it actually happened and your brain is kind of going to put you in the position of re-experiencing that again so you can become extremely hyper aware that you're aware of this thing you're you're aware of the fact that you're on red alert so to speak and you're just reacting sporadically to these triggers as if that thing is happening again so like some people if they're raped or whatever it's the same effect as being in the military and something terrible happens because then when a car backfires or something you're you know you're out the military you're like oh shit gunshots you know but the brain is just tricking you into thinking that bad things are going to happen again so it's the it's the exact same phenomenon to the brain as having too many windows open on your computer it's literally like that and so that's why people get anxiety and panic attacks and stuff like that. What we would call a traumatic memory is just a minimized window on your computer screen. You forgot it was there or you, you minimized it because you didn't want to deal with it. So the trigger is what clicks on it and it opens up that window and, and then it causes those flashbacks, those movies and those intrusive thoughts. And it's kind of like when you get pop-ups or whatever. Mm -hmm. So... It brings me back to that question, why do we have memories to stay alive and to stay away from danger? And we basically remember what we have learned in order to stay away from a threat to our safety. And that is just to help us again learn how to behave in society. So when something happens for the first time, that is called it initial initial sensitizing event and it's usually because the emotional state is so high that you can't process it properly all those chemicals running through your body it's like when you you know take crack or something it's like oh i just feel so good or oh i just feel so bad so I'm trying to remember the exact name of things i feel like i get on your show and i just dump information but we create this belief system, for example, that like I am stupid or I'm in danger. And it's like this belief system that we have, it, it still creates the outcomes. And we know subconsciously that something is predictable for us. So that's why we have the anxiety. That's why we have those intrusive thoughts. Or sometimes we have this underlying feeling that we don't know what's going on and we want to avoid things or whatever. 
And what I've realized when we're, when I'm dealing with people is that the majority of stuff that they are carrying is all made up. It's all made up stuff. Like you go back into the memory and suddenly because they're paying attention to it from a safe space, they're like the same experience that you had when you remembered that incident. You're like, oh, well, this is ridiculous. I can't tell you how many people just end up laughing at stuff yeah. that really had them walking around with the excuse this terminology with their asshole closed for their entire life, just clenched, afraid that something was going to happen to them. Mm. Right. So, you know, I hope that all the stuff that I'm saying is not overwhelming for people to try to process, but there's a lot of irrational fears and stuff too that I've had to help people with that it's, it's a form of cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. where they've just had these belief systems that have come together and like smushed together. And now they actually don't know the difference between reality and what could actually happen because they just, they kind of want, you know, twisted way to keep those things in place where they are because they're afraid of 20 seconds of processing the emotion, you know? So it's crazy when people come to me and I tell them, hey, did you know that you can change a memory at any time and it will change your belief system about something? Or if you change your belief system, it will change your memories. And they're like, what? No, that's not true. Like, I, I swear this thing happened. And then when we get to it and we go through the process of just dealing with the image alone, it changes everything that they think about it. And they're like, oh, this is really embarrassing. Like, I, I think I get that a lot. I think I get this is really embarrassing a lot. Like they feel silly yeah. because they've been tricked by their mind. It's where we get into like deletions and distortions. Again, 80% of what happens to you is, is deleted so that you can try to process it quickly in real time, right? So we're lying to ourselves all the time. If we are walking around in a culture of lies, Christian, that's dangerous. That's why we are the way that we are. That's why the world seems to be getting worse when we're supposedly getting smarter because it's a culture of lies. We get taught to believe lies more than the truth. We get taught to keep the lies rather than search for the truth. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, man. Th- this is this is so true. So much of what we believe is lies. So much of what we're ta- taught in school and in general is lies, man. Yeah. And even this bullshit with Santa. That's <laughs> why I, I told I, I told my, my wife, listen, I couldn't give a rat's ass about it's a nice tradition, this. Like when I hear this, that's just, not, I'm not saying my wife's saying that, but like when I hear that from family members about Christmas and Santa, that it's a nice tradition, that's NPC talk, right? It's Agreed. Talk. I ain't having that. Not having it. I'm Agreed. just gonna be. I'm gonna look. Um, we can play the game, but if she if she asks me where did the presents come from, I'll tell you where they came from. Came from daddy busting his ass day in day out to pay for them. That's where they came, honey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Obviously not. I won't be that. Uh, I won't say it in those exact those words, but I will tell her the truth. And we can play the Santa game. I can dress up as Santa, 
that's gonna be fun, but I'm not. It, there won't be the lies associated. We're not gonna normalize lying to children when they're I don't even know three, four. I don't know what what age they start believing in Santa or the tooth fairy or that all that right. horse crap. You know, Halloween is another thing where it's oh, like I hate Halloween, bro. You just so satanic. I hate it. Yeah, but not only that, psychologically, you're just saying that whoever you are at the core isn't good enough, so you've got to dress up like an idiot and go yeah. around getting candy because this is just what we do. That doesn't. That's <laughs> getting candy as, as well. hell. Yeah, that's it's dysfunctional it's... as hell. You know. But and... dude, Halloween is one of the major satanic holidays. Like how yeah. this became common, like commonplace in the mainstream to revere it as one of the great holidays of the year how how for god's sake it's one of their main i think after may day first of may that's like one of their major freaking holidays of the satanists like how is this okay in any way i don't know how we're getting on to this topic but it seems like the last three months of the year are just hell on earth yeah yeah and it's all about siphoning away people's energy but you know what were we really talking about? We were talking about trauma and emotions trauma and getting over it. We can overcome these things really easily. A lot of people's self-talk is the problem. That's what rumination is. Poor self-talk. It's so easy to just deal with it with practice. It doesn't even like it doesn't even make a dent in your day. But again, because we're conditioned to that that culture of lies, we believe the lie that it's harder. We don't realize that passing through pain is a rite of passage. It's what we do as humans. If we didn't have negative reinforcement to teach us, we would never learn anything. That's why if you stick your finger on a, a fire, you get burned. Negative reinforcement. It teaches us not to do that again. It doesn't have to be a trauma. You just have to learn how to talk to yourself. You know? Yeah. Surely, though, we don't we don't only learn via negative reinforcement, right? No, positive for positive enforcement can be great, but hey, you need both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this was great, bro. Um, my head hurts a little, so I'm gonna have to. <laughs> I'm gonna have to take a couple hours break. No, I'm kidding. I'm I actually started writing a book um, recently, so gonna be gonna be researching stuff about stress hormones and cortisol so it really feed it really feed the stuff really feeds into what we're talking about because it can be a, a bi-directional sort of thing uh, I'm not sure how to elucidate it exactly but you have the event and then you have your response to the event so the event can cause an increase in stress hormones but then the response and the chronic response to the event can just remembering the event can increase cortisol. And when cortisol increases, other stress hormones start to increase, including uh, nor or epinephrine and adre or adrenaline, as it's also known, et cetera, et cetera, prolactin, estrogen, serotonin, et cetera. So I think that's why I said earlier, I think because I, I'm, I'm coming again from the more biochemical, you're coming from the psychological side of things, you know, it, which is awesome. It, to me, To me, it's a little bit... It's a little bit voodoo to me because I don't understand it very well at all. 
but from the biochemical aspect, I think if you can literally figure out how to reduce the cortisol level and keep it low, so many of these things disappear. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one example, right? There's a it's a quote unquote drug that was FDA approved in 2019 called Brexenolone, which is actually just allopregnenolone. And what allopregnenolone is what we turn from, what we create in the body from cholesterol becomes pregnenolone, becomes progesterone, and progesterone, we ourselves synthesize all of these things. Progesterone becomes allopregnenolone. It's a neurosteroid, so it's a steroid in the brain. So this FDA-approved treatment of allopregnenolone called brexenolone, it's just a allopregnenolone being infused into the... It, it, so it was approved for postpartum depression. And they just infuse it intravenously, which <clears throat> which is for the purposes of, you know, charging a lot of money and, and being gatekeepers and all that jazz. We know that. But yes. these women were given this infusion of allopregnenolone once and these women had moderate and severe at too severe postpartum depression and a lot of relief was felt and four weeks down the line after this one treatment there were many of them were still reporting really good results so what does allopregnenolone do what does progesterone and pregnenolone do well these these things are natural kind of counter-regulatory I suppose, uh, chemicals to cortisol. They can block uh, uh, cortisol synthesis. They can block it at the receptor level. And and there's many other kind of mechanisms in the body. So just that, and and cortisol, on the other hand, does the opposite. It can, like I said earlier, it's been shown to atrophy regions of the brain. It can cause a lot, it can suppress the immune system uh, chronically. That's why, you know, we use corticosteroids for, to suppress autoimmune things, skin skin conditions, stuff like that. So if we can come in with the biochemical intervention on top, I, I'm never I'm not saying it should be the only thing, especially in more severe cases. But if we can come in both with both of it and have somebody like yourself, not and, and this is kind of so antith- antithetical to what's what 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 currently happens. You go to a psychiatrist, they ask you about did you want to bang your mom or whatever? Um, you know, uh, think when you were two, did your uncle touch you? And let me put you on an antipsychotic and an antidepressant, and then like keep coming to me for the next twenty years because like I want to get a second apartment and a uh, uh, and, and maybe like a yacht or something like that, right? A small little boat in my Greek in my Greek apartment there nearby. So as as opposed to you reduce the cortisol, reduce the stress hormones biochemically with supplements that are over the counter. Progesterone and pregnenolone are over the counter in the USA. You just get them for a few bucks. Some of them are literally a few bucks. And then you talk to someone like yourself that can help you deal with the memory, the stuff, the subconscious self sabotage. And you know, I don't know how many sessions you do with a client. But I'm sure in a few months' time, most people get most of the benefit and they can move on. And you, you're not looking for customers for life. You're looking for to reach a lot of people. And then hopefully they become functional, more functional human beings. And this is kind of the ripple effect we create in the world as opposed to let me get you signed up and keep giving you stuff for until you die, basically, right? 
Yeah, I usually work with people for 6 to 12 weeks and it's spread out over a few months. Like the first couple of sessions are pretty close together, but then I start putting time, depending on the person, how well they're applying it, put time, like space that out so that they have time to live their lives and figure things out because mm -hmm. I think... In a lot of ways, we do the same thing because if somebody's coming to me, the first thing I want to know is what do you eat? What do you put in your body? Because a lot of the times, if you take out the garbage, mental health improves. Oh, yeah. Skyrockets. Huge, huge. Yeah. And yeah. then all you have to do is teach them how to self-regulate. All you have to do is teach them how to deal with the memories and how to change the internal dialogue and stuff like that. And it's actually not that hard, you know? If you mm -hmm. teach people how they think, how they still have this very childlike way of distorting information in the moment, a lot of that clears that up right away. Because I think that there's a misconception that this is about being inhuman and indestructible and not feeling any emotions or anything like that. It's not about that. It's about processing and moving on. Because life's not going to stop. So... Why should you, you know, want to get involved in that culture of going to the psychiatrist and, yeah, dude. you know, dredging up feelings of wanting to bang your mom, like you said, <laughs> you know, things like that. Why would you want to go a destructive route like that and yeah, take man. medication? And there's because so that's much all stuff. People think there's that there is for them out there. That's all that yeah. you're shown when you go to the conventional yeah. butchery system. That's why they try to shut people up like us because you know, we're just going to be like, no, it's not like that. But there's this, again, that culture of lies that's been created and it has far surpassed any of the old ways of thinking. You know, this is all witchcraft to people who don't want to hear it because they want to believe what's socially accepted now, which is to be a dysfunctional person. And that's ridiculous. That's socially acceptable, yeah. Yeah. And I'm been do I've been doing some research as well on like, different medications and stuff and things like Lexapro and stuff. And there's people that are jumping off of bridges and stuff after taking this stuff. Like, what's Lexapro exactly? Oh, it blocks the serotonin transporter, so it's kind of like an SSRI. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. It, you know what I'm saying with that point is that a time is coming where a lot of people are going to find out what that stuff does. Like they can't suppress it any longer. There's more people uh, having drastic effects of this stuff. Yeah. You know, the benzodiazepines, stuff like that. It's killing people, changing their personality. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. And it's really messed up what's going on out there. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's very much longer that these people can hide this information. And it's really going to, create a problem because I want to see how they're going to figure out how to weasel their way out of that one next, you know? Actually, they're... So all these seroton serotonergic drugs, they're... Serotonin is actually very damaging in excess. I'm, I'm about to record a podcast episode about it. It's actually far from the happy hormone. But um, they're actually doing studies with uh, serotonin antagonists. And actually some of these, I think, Prozac, actually, it's a partial, I believe, dopamine agonist. So you get some of the benefit early from, I can't remember if it's from 
partial serotonin blocker or a dopamine agonist, but the initial improvement you feel from it is from that effect. You're actually blocking serotonin's effects. But the long term is the peripheral serotonin accumulation, which is cause causes fibrosis and all manner of sexual dysfunction and just a number of different things, you know. But um, I think they're just gonna eventually. They're they're what I, this is the business model. This is how evil it looks to me. They're because excess serotonin causes all these things like fibrosis, which leads to cancer in organs and so on. They are coming out with the opposite acting they're studying the opposite acting things like dopamine agonist serotonin antagonists and when they create more systemic problems they will treat those using the new drugs or or they will come out and say you know this is this is that was the state of the art but now we've we've got better science we've got better research so they're just going to keep adding adding more treatments and and you know maiming more people and hopefully you know, along the way, you get some cancer, some fibrosis that you got new drugs for because you understand the mechanisms better. So you got customers for life constantly coming back with more and more complex things that you can sell them more treatments for. So I don't think there's much they're going to get hurt in any way by the public understanding that they've been they've been getting poisoned with these SSRIs for decades. I don't think yeah. any anybody's I don't think anybody's going to go to jail or anything like that. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> that's dark <laughs> it's it's dark but at the same time uh what can happen is more and more people will will see will will see the light that at the best the system will do nothing for you so they'll be useless just waste your time and possibly waste your money at worst they'll kill you and in between will be a lot of dysfunction p- procedures treatments pills and a lot of pain and suffering along the way. So the quicker you take responsibility for your health and your family's health, the 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 better off you will be. You know, and this is what the the it all goes back to diet, doesn't it? You, like you said already, like if you just take the seed oils out of your diet, man, just take the seed oils out of your diet. I think that alone could really reverse a lot of dysfunction in many people. You know. That alone is so powerful. Yeah. And it's actually really simple, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Simple not e- simple but not easy if you if you're not prepared to, to really do, do the actual work involved. Because if you're if you're eating out every day or taking eating takeout multiple times a week or both, it's easy to stop buying the seed oils and maybe stop buying processed food and cooking more at home but if you're out a lot you have to get smart because everything is freaking doused in seed oils nowadays you know i dude i we went to spain a couple weeks ago for a few days and dude i was dreading it because i i took i took a bunch of like vitamin e and my wife was eating so many like things. I was like, listen, grab another vitamin e. She's like, oh Jesus, you're a bit crazy with the vitamin e. I'm like, it protects you from lipid peroxidation <laughs> you need it you know you're eating fucking stuff fried in sunflower oil so two three days of eating that well i wasn't eating that i, I actually was just drinking milk throughout the day as much as i could and orange juice to avoid having to eat solid meals until we could like cook something better in in the little house we rented but uh dude this is reality for people every single day they they have 
they just don't know each one of these meals could can contain five to you know 20 25 grams of polyunsaturated fatty acids that are some of them are already oxidized and they're gonna create a lot of damage in your body including your brain cells and shit and your blood vessels and whatever else so they just don't realize that that's what they're doing day in day out they just go to the doctor when they're 50 or whatever oh uh atherosclerosis oh cancer and they're like oh it must be genetic hopefully the chemo will help and stuff no that's the plan i guess that's their plan yeah surprise you're fucked up <laughs> but it's genetic but There's we don't know why do yeah we don't know why yeah this is amazing dude like bi- trillions of dollars invested literally millions of studies published millions of studies and god knows how many more conducted that weren't published and how many poor animals in these studies millions and millions of animals dead because of all this research and there's not a cure for one fucking thing that's that's a disease nowadays there's not one that none of it none of it is fucking curable if you go to the doctor not one fucking thing not one can you like can you imagine that you would have thought well, at least we'd come up with one cure okay we can't cure cancer too 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 complex heart disease too hard but like one cure one goddamn thing guys one just one a tiny thing you know like fear of mathematics surely we can cure fear of mathematics yeah let's just not do math at all <laughs> <laughs> wait there's a fear of mathematics you know that right in the dsm version 5 Yeah, there there's fear of everything in the damn DSM-5. Mathematical anxiety, but I think it had a um, math phobia. I think it had a an actual name. Yeah. yeah bro, hey, insane. there's a, they're they're coming up with conditions to describe people like us who question the narrative and they're going to yeah, put yeah. it in the next DSM. Uh was it extremists? Was it domestic terrorist even though we're not in america i guess we're domestic external terrorists i don't know something like that i don't know specific phobia well jahan listen thank you so much bro this was really fun we should do it again you are an absolute wealth of knowledge and i love i love expanding my my um understanding of these things it's just the problem is you always like list off a bunch of people and books that i i, I just They don't never think I will have. <laughs> I will not have the time. I will buy the books gladly for my collection, and maybe maybe one day when I retire, I will read some of them. But I'm kind of like 500 books backlogged already, so it's gonna take a while. But um, this is why I this is why I enjoy talking to people like you because at least I can get some insights into these things and uh, some practical tools along with it. So thank you so much for your time, man. All right. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm sure we'll do this again in a couple of months. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh tell the listeners how they can connect with you before we before we finish. So if you want to reach me, you can message me on Instagram. That's at Jahan Sator. That's J E H A N S A T T A U R. Or you can email me self-sabotage info at proton.me. And you can also go to my new website and fill out the contact form selfsabotage.xyz. Yeah, I saw the new website. It's pretty cool. You did that you did that yourself? Yeah, I did it myself. 
Yeah, it's a lot of work, bro. I do my own website as well, and it's not as easy as it looks. Yeah. All right, bro, brother. Thank you so much again, and um, yeah, we'll stay in touch. All right. Thanks again.